0: Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a brand new message entitled Jailbreak. This message explores the issues of complacency and mediocrity. Complacency exists because we perceive that we have all we need and do not perceive gaining more is worth the effort or the cost. Listen as Brandon challenges us that we are not those who shrink back. How's it going? That was interesting. Make your ears vibrate a little bit. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. Kind of cool to hear that. Um, hey. Really excited about uh, what's coming up in this new series, Jailbreak. I'm glad to see some of you came back after I unveiled all of my issues last week. Um, but it was, a, it was a cool Sunday. was able to talk about uh, a message that we entitled, He Ain't Right, and talked about several things that I struggle with myself and, and feel like probably most everybody in here struggles with. And so we're going to go into this series called Jailbreak. And this is my belief, guys. I believe truly that many of us are going to break out of the personal prisons that we found ourselves in. And here's the thing, we all have issues, right? I mean, it's one thing we can be very clear on, we can can come to agreement on right now, is everybody's got things they deal with, whether it's um, complacency and mediocrity, whether it's fear and insecurity... Maybe selfishness, maybe um, it's, it's bitterness and unforgiveness, condemnation, whatever it may be. Listen, we're all in this together and we're going to discover today that the way we overcome that is together. And so I just want to encourage you and I want to ask you to be praying that over the next um, really five weeks, we're going to be hitting this hard and ask you to be praying that people find freedom in Christ. There's so many people today who are bound and who are, who are um, literally in a personal prison, a prison, of isolation, a prison of condemnation and guilt. And, and our heart is that through this series, we would see people begin to break out of that. And we would see people set free in Christ. We'd see people come to know Jesus and know the reality of who he is as our savior. And so we're gonna be getting into a lot of different things over the next five weeks. I'd encourage you, invite somebody, bring somebody um, that, that's far from God. Don't go try to rob them from another church. Just, just bring people who, who don't go to church. There's plenty of people around. And we're gonna really preach the gospel and preach the freedom that God's given us through Jesus. Jesus. And, and I believe that you and I, all of us together, are going to break free and begin to break out of um, this, these prisons that, that we found ourselves in. Today, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be in that today and, and uh, really looking at Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 39. And uh, excited about what the Lord has put on my heart. Um, I really feel like God's going to do something awesome today, mainly because I've just sensed this like spirit of, of heaviness just around all day long. Everybody I've talked to is just seems like everybody's dragging. And, and I just believe this with all my heart, that God desires to do something awesome in this place today. You believe that this morning? Yeah, yeah good, good. All right, well, we're going to jump in. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Um, and we're going to read until I mess up on a word, which won't be long, and then we'll stop. All right, Hebrews 10, 19. It says, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we have, we profess, oh, we need to stop, I messed up, for we, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace, your mercy that you poured out on our lives, Lord. Today, as we look at our lives and we we uh, look at this topic of, of mediocrity and complacency, Lord. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And, and God, for those who mediocrity and complacency has, has bordered on the, the verge of despair, God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and you would change us, God. Change um, the, the world around us. And God, start, God, with us in changing our hearts, Lord. Uh, just do something, Lord, that uh, no other, nobody else could do. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory as you uh, exalt your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here, uh, you got to hear me talk about the five things that I struggle with the most. The first one of those was mediocrity and complacency. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And if you remember, I was pretty honest about how I struggle with mediocrity. I struggle with complacency at times where where I just begin to kind of settle into um, things. I begin to settle. I think even as a church, I begin to think about, well, you know, we've got a good crowd coming. You know, the offerings are paying the bills we've got a job. Why not just settle? Because I don't know if you've ever noticed, but like the more people you get together, the more difficult things become. And, and the more, more um, um, comments you hear and the more things that happen, the more people you get together, the more, the more stuff that comes up. And so part of me just goes, well, let's just settle. But here's the thing I realized is we weren't called to settle as a church. We were called to move forward. We were called to reach new people. We're called as long as there's one person who doesn't know Christ, we're called to keep going. No matter what comes our way, and no matter what happens, we know that Jesus has given us victory. And so we keep pressing on, we keep pushing ahead. I've been, been uh, you know, in places before where it was so easy to settle uh, with my family, with my wife. I know no other guy in here is guilty of that, right? But just settling with my wife, I mean, you know, we've been married for 10, 11 years. I mean, I feel like she's not going anywhere, you know? It's easy just to settle. But you know, when we were courting her, man, we would do anything. We did crazy stuff. We've talked about that before. You would do things that you are embarrassed of now, and I guarantee you, every married man in here, you did something that you would be embarrassed to stand up here and tell you. So, what we're going to do now is pass a microphone around and allow <laughs> you to tell your most. No, we're not going to do that. But but we did stupid stuff. I mean, we did stuff that now we look at it and go, wow. But then once we got her, we were like, okay, cool. You know, it's like whatever. We got her now. And, and how about with our children? I mean, seriously, you know, we, 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 uh, we just settle so many times and somehow we just kind of feel like, man, our children, they're just going to automatically turn out loving Jesus on their own. And we become complacent in, in pouring into them spiritually. We come, become complacent in reading the word to them. We become complacent in all these different ways. Um, we begin to be more obsessed with them becoming the next Derek Jeter than the next, you know, great uh, uh, displayer of the gospel. And so we begin to become complacent and we begin to turn our focus. And this is what I believe with all my heart. I believe that when we are passionately pursuing Jesus, complacency is not an option. That when we're, we're, we're pursuing Christ with all that we have, there's something inside of us that will not let us settle. And so today I, I want to talk to you about those things. See, I believe that, that that mediocrity and that complacency exists because we really have what we Want and we perceive that to gain more of it is not really worth the cost or the effort. It's something that we look at and we're like, you know, I'm really okay. And how big of a danger is that in our culture today? Really, because we're not really wanting. I guarantee you, there's probably not one person in here today who's wondering, right now, am I going to have anything to eat for lunch? Now, you might be wondering or thinking, maybe he'll be short today so that I can get to lunch sooner. But nobody in here is going like, man. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I really don't know if I'm gonna eat. And so here's, it's easy for us to begin to settle because we've got our external needs met. We've got, you know, the things that would really be crying out if there was our flesh would be crying out. If we were hungry, if we were thirsty, if we didn't have clean water, our flesh would be crying out. But it's so easy for us to begin to settle when we've got those physical needs met. And it becomes like an anesthetic that that masks and hides the spiritual need that we have for Christ. And so today I want to begin to look at that. I want to be talking about that with you some because the thing that I realize in here is that everybody in this room right now has a struggle with settling in some place. We've seen it before, man, where where somebody's on the right path and then all of a sudden that they begin to stop guarding their heart. And the next thing you know, there's adultery in the marriage. Or, or they start, stop guarding their eyes. And the next thing you know, they're in my office confessing an addiction to pornography. Or they quit guarding their heart. And, and, and the next thing you know, their, their kids are going off in another direction because nobody is really pouring anything spiritual into their lives. Or we bring them to church and we tell the youth pastor to raise them. Right? Or, or we bring them to the kids' ministry and that's the only time they hear the gospel. That's the only time that they hear anything about Jesus is when we push them off into the kids ministry and hustle in here. And the thing I want to tell you guys is we all struggle with those types of things. And the reality of it is you and I, we, we got to wake up. We need to realize the gravity of of what's hanging in the balance. We need to realize the weight of our responsibility to God and to other people we've got to come to a place where complacency is not an option. And this is what I realized. Until God is the only option, we'll never be able to serve Him faithfully. As long as we've got all these other options, as long as we're willing to obey or or go after another voice, it's going to be so hard for us to ever come to a place where we serve God only and serve Him faithfully. Until He becomes the only option, there's always an opportunity to choose another door. We need to become so tunnel visioned on God that there is no other option. And so I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about some snares that I believe creep into our our lives. I spend a lot of time in the woods just hunting or or just, I just love to go out and just sit. I just love to be in nature. And and there's been times before in my life when, when I'll go and I walk down a path and like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes later, I turn around and walk back down the same path. And I just kind of You know, just walking. And all of a sudden in my path is a snake. I don't know, anybody like snakes in here? Holy cow, that is wild. I hate, I hate snakes. That, in fact, my greatest fear is snakes. Like when I think about snakes, I think about, oh my gosh, like I I, I just don't like them. They freak me out because they're kind of creepy and crawly and like the devil was a snake in the garden. And I'm like that whole thing. There's a purpose behind that. God was trying to tell us something. Like he wasn't just a serpent, just to be a ser- he was a serpent because it's a snake. And so I realized like, man, I, I, I just don't like them. I, they freak me out. I, I just don't care for them. And you know, the thing that happens, as soon as I see that snake, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I turn around and I go the other way. And what really scares me is when I start thinking about the fact that that snake had to be somewhere close by when I walked through the first time. It wasn't like he covered a couple of miles to get there. He was laying in the vicinity. And I walked past that snake and, and, and I was unaware that he was even, even there. That he was even lurking in the bushes with those creepy little eyes. And he's over there somewhere. And, so, and, and I was totally unaware of it. And yet I realized that complacency is so much like that. That it kind of just sneaks in. And one of the definitions of complacency that I saw was is self-satisfied. And unaware of present danger. And isn't that how we kind of live life sometimes? That we're self-satisfied and unaware of present danger. We don't realize if I don't change something, I'm in danger. We don't realize if I don't stay the course, if I don't persevere in the faith, we don't realize that what Paul's telling these, these um, the, the people who are reading the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews. We don't realize that... That was a joke. All right, but... We don't realize that if we don't keep our eyes on Christ, if we don't persevere in the faith, if we don't continue on, if we don't continue to strive, that there's going to be a point where we become complacent and we begin to drift away from God. And it comes in and it's real slick and it's real cunning. And, and I would even call it a snare. We become entrapped. All of a sudden we wake up one day and it's kind of like I talked about a few weeks ago where you're in the, in the ocean and all of a sudden you look up and you're like 200 yards down the beach. and You're like, how did I get here? And you slowly you begin to drift, but today I want to talk to you about four snares that I believe that are are so good. at at being cunning and crafty and coming in and beginning to trap us, to begin to move us into a place of complacency, to begin to to allow us to become satisfied with where we're at and not continuing on with our pursuit of God and our pursuit of other people for the glory of God. So I want to read to you again real quick. I just want to read 19 through 22. Listen, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen, to this, let us draw near to God. The first snare I want to talk to you about is that we become snared by the perception that more effort to gain more of God isn't worth what it would cost. That, that we become so so ensnared by this perception that to get more of God isn't worth what it would take to get it. Anybody ever been there? Like where, where, you know, you've got access to the Bible. Do you know how many people in the world would kill somebody? Well, they probably wouldn't kill somebody because they'd be a Christian, but that, that would, would give anything just to have the written word. And if you're like me, you've got like 10 of them around the house. And they just, they would love to just have a Bible to be able to read, but we become so complacent. We don't pick it up because we think, man, the effort that it would take to read, it's just not worth what I'm going to gain with God. Or it's it's the thought that we come to where where if I really get on my knees and I really begin to pray and I really begin to press into God, somehow it's not going to be worth it. Isn't that crazy? The Bible right here tells us that that we can approach God through the blood of Jesus, through a new and living way. And it says that he has opened the curtain for us. That is his body. I want to read to you what that's talking about. It's actually in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, I'm going to read verses 50 through 53. It says, and when Jesus had cried out, this is Jesus on the cross, he's being crucified. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Listen to this, tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now that's pretty pretty wild, right? But what, what Hebrews is talking about when he says that we are able to come to God now through the curtain of his body, he's talking about this curtain that was in the temple of God. That the Jews had their temple. They had this huge curtain that separated them from the most holy place. It was thought that if you went into that place, that area, the holy of holies, and, and you were not pure and you were not holy and you were not right with God, that you would drop dead instantly because God's presence was in there. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 27 in verses 50 through 53 that when Jesus cried out again and he cries out to God one more time and it says that the curtain of the temple was torn. The curtain was torn. This thing was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and it wasn't like a shower curtain. This thing was thick. And it says that when he died, the curtain was torn. Symbolizing the fact that you and I now have access to the holy of holies. Symbolizing that you and I now can go to God. That we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not on our own merit, but because Jesus died for our sins. And when he died, and he took sin upon his body, and he took the wrath that was deserved for us, the temple was torn from top to bottom, and now you and I can approach God. That's awesome. I'm glad y'all are excited about it. It's awesome that you and I have the ability, the opportunity, the incredible privilege that we can approach God. The God of the universe that created everything we see and everything we know. And we have the opportunity to go to Him. And see, I think we miss this. I don't think we get the gravity of it. I don't think we really understand it. Because we are so unaware of truly how sinful we we really are. We're we're unaware of how worthless of of God we really are. And yet God placed such value on you and I that we get to go to Him because He sacrificed His only Son, the only perfect one who ever lived. As the writer of Hebrews says, the, the great high priest who now intercedes on our behalf. In the Old Testament, the priests made atonement for sin. They went to God on behalf of the people. And now you and I have the opportunity to approach God, not out of any righteousness we've, we've accomplished, but out of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, out of the righteousness that He's given us, out of the righteousness that He has shed upon us. That is the God we get to go to. Is that an amen? I couldn't, I couldn't tell. But, but that's the God that we get to go to. That's the God that we have the privilege of coming to. And see, this is the thing I don't get, guys. I understand like, like, like it's early and I understand that people had late nights last night. I understand that. But what I don't get is when we look at this and we understand that we can come to the God of the universe, how we can just sit on our hands. I don't get it. I do not understand it. That you and I deserve eternal damnation in hell, but because a God who loves us and saw more value than anybody else has ever seen in us came and died for us and gave us the right to come into the Holy of Holies and and we don't even get excited about that. We go daggum berserk at a Braves baseball game and we can't get excited about Jesus who paid the cost for our, our sin, who died for us. And my prayer for you is this, that it doesn't become condemned. It's not one of these things where we we look at and we're like, I I just, you know, I suck." No. Look at what God did for you. Look at who God is. It also says in here that when he cried out and he he breathed his last, it says that the, the earth literally shook. And it says that tombs were open and dead men started coming out. That would be weird. And, and there's all these, you know, people way smarter than me have tried to figure out who the holy men were. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not getting into all that because I want to tell you, because I'm more simple, you know, not a whole lot between this ear and this ear. I'm, I'm more simple. When I read this, this is what I see. I see that the death of Jesus brought dead men to life. That's what I see. I, I don't see. I don't. I mean, all those theological things of who was—that's cool. But what I see is dead men came to life. That is awesome. I mean, you're sitting there at the supper table one day, and Uncle Joe walks in. He's been dead for 20 years. Home. What happened? Jesus died. And see, where we can bring this home to us is is the fact that apart from Christ, we are dead. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins. That sin has had its way in our life and we are dead. But when we come to Christ, we become alive. Because he kicked sin and death's butt on the cross. And so you and I now have the opportunity to come to him. We get to come to this God. I just want to read you just, just a few little scriptures here about who this God is. The first one is out of um, Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. It says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where, Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. Listen to this, Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Listen to this in Psalm 8, 1. It says, Our Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have obeyed. Or ordain praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. You set your glory above the heavens. See, here's the thing that I want you to understand about all of these verses is heaven and earth can't contain our God. He is huge. No one has ever exhausted the wisdom, the knowledge, the glory of God's riches. He is our greatest gain. No one's ever exhausted that. Like nobody's ever pressed into God so much that God didn't have anything else to show them. Nobody's there. God's never called you and said, what should I do in this situation? He never has. We will never exhaust the glory and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We ought to keep pressing in because God's always got something new to show us. How many of you go out to, to like a fireworks show on the Fourth of July? Yeah, so people go out there. Like we go to Mill Creek and get stuck in an hour and a half long traffic jam almost every year. And we go out there, and you know what's so funny? It, it's like we, we're sitting there, we're watching the fireworks, and everybody's like, "Ooh, ah!" And then people around you start trying to guess like what the shape is. They're like, "Oh, look at that! That's a bird." I'm like, "No, it's not. It's just a bunch of lights." And it never fails. Like somebody's dog always freaks out. Every year we see a dog just high-tailing across Mill Creek. It's like vroom. Next time they saw him, he was like in Portal. He's gone vroom. And, and just, just gone. And, and we sit there and we're like, ooh, ah. And it's cool. And then you get to the grand finale, it's like <laughs> And all the kids are screaming like, Wah! you know, and, and it's awesome. I mean, it's cool. I was lights and it's, it's going off and, you know, and it's, it's awesome to go and witness it and see it and everything. But you know what I believe eternity is going to be like with God for those of us who are in Christ. I believe it's going to be like the most magnificent fireworks show you've ever seen. It's if it's going to be the glory of God. Can you imagine that? Like for eternity, we're going to watch God. We're going to be with God. We're going to see God. And it's going to be this incredible experience of looking at God and not even all of eternity could exhaust His magnificence and His glory. I believe it's going to be like when we're looking at God and we're like, oh, and we start to get up off of our face and we start to look back up. He's going to be like, how about this? And we're going to be like, oh, holy God. Holy God. And for eternity... It's going to be holy, holy, holy. God, I mean, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. We can't even imagine it. And see, here's the thing. God wants to share that with us now. He's not just saying, just wait, just sit back, just, just puddle through life. I mean, I went into a, a time saver this morning to get a, a, a water and a granola bar. And I walked in and I was like, Mike, who died in here? Everybody walking around? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, good morning. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like, how's it going? And then the lady, she asked me how I'm doing just because she has to. How are you? I'm like, man, I'm good. How are you? And I smile at her actually, to let her know I actually do care how she's doing. She's like, um. you know, and, and they don't, and I get so frustrated when I go to Walmart or the grocery store and they're like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm great. How are you? And they don't answer me. Just grab them, bam. Hit their, I wouldn't do that, but that's what you, I mean, because you're like, I actually do care. But it's one of those things where God doesn't want us to just have to wait till eternity. God, man, He is our treasure now. He's worth everything now. And, and, and to continue moving with God, to continue pushing forward with God, understanding and having confidence that this is going to be worth it. You're not going to get to the end of your life having served God and be like, oh, well, I wish I hadn't done that. He is worth it and will never exhaust the riches of who He is. We'll never get to a place where we've done it all. We've seen it all. God's got nothing new to show us. We've got to begin to press into him. Listen to this, number two. We become snared by a behavior gospel that's non-invasive. Which, just to let you know, is no gospel at all, actually. Listen to this in Hebrews. We'll read verse 22 to you, the whole thing. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Back when I was in medical school, we were studying. Um, what are y'all laughing about? I said medical. I'm just, of course I wasn't in medical school. But this week I was reading up on some stuff. And, and the thought of like, what is non-invasive surgery? So I went and I actually Googled it. And, and I'm pretty much ready to do some non-invasive surgery now after reading up on it. But, but I looked at it. And you know what it said? It said any surgery that does not break the skin. And he hit me. I was like. That's kind of like the way. Church is for a lot of people. It's really surface oriented. So much that we get into this snare. We get caught by this thing. Where we begin to think that the gospel is about altering our behavior. When it is really about the alteration of our heart. And so we come to church and we dress all up. And it's so funny to me how people get mad because I come to church in jeans. I'm like really let's start listing out some things about you i don't really do that but but it's tempting and i'm like it's not about this exterior this is going away it's about what's on the inside it's about what god's done in my life Listen to this verse, because this, this verse, I actually had somebody in my office this week freaking out about this verse. Listen to these verses, in, in, beginning in verse 26. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely... Do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, Who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Does that like freak anybody else out a little bit? It's one of those things where when you read it, you kind of get one of those... You know how that just happens sometimes? You just kind of start shaking and you get a little chill. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's like, that's some serious stuff." And he says, "If anyone continues to sin," I'm like, "I sin. I, I know I fall short." And this week I was studying it, and I was looking at it. As a guy came into my office, and he's freaking out. He's like, "I oh, don't am I saved?" I know I mess up in I saved. And so I started studying Hebrews 10. I started studying 1 John because he says the same. John says the same thing in 1 John 3, 9 and 10. He says, if anyone continues to sin, then he's not in, the, in God. He's not in the Father. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And as I begin to study it, what I begin to realize is that God is telling us like the one constant about the Christian life is continuous change. We cannot continue in the same patterns, in the same rut, if we're in Christ, because Christ pushes us. Christ moves us forward. Christ causes us to be changed. The Bible says that he's changing us from glory to glory. And so the lie that we can sit in church for 30, 40, 50 years, regardless of what we wear, regardless of the songs we sing, regardless of what denomination we are, regardless of what church we go to, and not be changed by the gospel is a lie. It is a lie. And this is the thing I vow to you. I will tell you the truth because I'm not going to stand before a holy God who looks at me and goes, those people are in hell because you didn't tell them. The gospel that's non-invasive does not exist. In fact, Jesus died so that our hearts could be changed. Jesus died so that we could become new people, new creations, that our life literally begins to have a different trajectory. And my question today would be, when did Jesus change your life? When did Jesus change your heart? When did it go from non-invasive like most of us grew up with, going to Sunday school and playing pin the tail on Jesus? <laughs> or, or going to church and singing songs you can't understand what they're saying, but praise God we sang a song. When did, when did we go from that to a place where God reaches into our chest, pulls out our old heart and puts a new one in? When did it happen? It's so funny to me. We, we go through this and we're just moving along in the same patterns in the same things. And we really believe that the God of the universe lives inside of us. I don't think so. Because one thing that is constant with children of God is change. We ought to be able to look back over our last year and look at it and go, you know, God brought me from that. God's delivered me from that. God is delivering me from that. God's working this out through me. Because he's a holy God who is awesome. The heavens the heavens and earth cannot contain him. And, and he offers us the opportunity to come to him and for him to reach in. And do some heart surgery that, that we can't do on our own. We try to adjust the outside. God wants to absolutely contain the inside. I believe this with all my heart. That heart change equals life change. It always happens that way. I remember um, there's been several times this has happened to me. And it may have happened to y'all. I think it happens when I drink too much coffee and I get like this. But but have y'all ever had that eye twitch thing that goes on? That's aggravating isn't it? Cause you're sitting there and nobody else can really see it. It's like just a little bitty muscle and it's twitching, but you're talking to somebody and you feel like you're like this the whole time and you're trying to stop it and you can't. And so you try to, you try to get where it'll stop and it won't and it's still twitching. It's just twitching, just twitching, just twitching and you can't stop it. And that's how it is with you and I, when we begin to try to do things to, 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 to change our behavior apart from Christ. We can't change it. We can't stop it. But Jesus can. And when we begin to move into the place of a holy of holies with God because Jesus tore the temple, because we're not going to become complacent people, because we're going to continue to push forward. You know what? It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. I'm going to get up today and I'm going to begin to live for God again. And it doesn't matter that my wife and I, we had a little spat last night. You know what? I'm not going to let the sun go down on my anger. I'm going to be a man and I'm going to go and tell my wife, I'm sorry, I love you. I, I screwed up. And so we continue to move forward, and God's working in our lives, and He's working things out in our lives, and we begin to to, to press into Him more. And our hearts begin to change more, and we begin to become more and more like Christ. And I believe this with all my heart that, that as we press into God, God begins to change us. And the one thing that is constant in the Christian life is that we are constantly made more in the likeness of Jesus. What a privilege! We look at it as like, well, I can't do this anymore. No, 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 no. You're looking at the symptom. We need to be looking at the cure. And that's Jesus. That is Jesus. It's not about what you can't do. It's about what you get to do. We come to Jesus like he's a, like he's a burden. Like, Dad Gum, I got to read the Bible. I got to read about the God of the universe that created everything. Really? Really? It's our privilege. We have the opportunity to continue pressing in, moving with God, and allowing Him to change our heart. And why would we not want to be changed? We established last week that all of us have major issues. Would we not want to be changed by God to become more like Him? I do. I, I pray that. I, I, was, I prayed that all week. God, I, I realize that in this area, I can be the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. Do something in my heart, Lord. Don't let me settle, but keep me moving forward with you. It always pays off. The third one. Let's read verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Here's here's number three. Let me read it to you, then we'll talk about it. it. Is that we become snared by a pursuit of perfection rather than being obsessed with pursuing the one who is perfect. We become obsessed with this pursuit of perfection Instead of becoming obsessed with pursuing the one who is perfect and can make us perfect. And, and I look at this and so many times I see Christians who the thing that they're pursuing is to get one more thing out of their life. Or, or to get one more thing in their life. And you know the bottom line is this. If you've got Jesus in your life, that's it. That is it. He is the one who works out righteousness in you. Now it's not like you can just sit around and go, okay, God, do it to me. We've got our responsibility in it, but the bottom line is our responsibility is to pursue the one who's perfect. And this is a thing that I know we, we ought to want to do things with excellence. We ought to want to do things with perfection because we serve a God who is magnificent, who is excellent, who is perfect himself, and who has promised us that if we'll pursue him, he'll begin to work that out in us. What an awesome opportunity that you and I have, that that we can begin to pursue Him. But so many times I see us falling into this trap where we begin to pursue perfection. And see, I see this misunderstanding in church all the time because we'll have people come in and they're like, well, your service is just too smooth. It just goes together too well. I'm like, so crappy is more spiritual? Your band's too good. Well, let's get a banjo and somebody that's never played it before And see, and and I'm like, really? But see, here's this thing that we fall into all the time is we fall into this trap of legalism. We fall into the trap of legalism so that the devil has been able to rob us of the joy of our salvation because all of our effort is spent on trying to make ourselves perfect. It doesn't work that way. It works when we pursue the one who makes us perfect and begins to work that perfection out in us. Listen, we ought to, we ought to be so focused on Jesus that this, the sins, the weight of the world, we cast those off and we begin to pursue him so much that, that they can't catch up to us. That we're just chasing hard and fast after him. And let me tell you, when it comes to legalism, I, I, I am the chief of all sinners. God is delivering me of this and has been for 11 long years. But I can tell you, when I first began to live my life for God, I was one of the most legalistic people you'll ever meet. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. If the speed limit, if the sign said 35, I was going 35. If it went 36, I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to die. I mean, with everything. I remember, man, one of my biggest struggles, guys, was, was alcohol. And I'm not talking about if you drink a beer every night. I, listen to me. I'm talking about a struggle. I would, I struggled with drinking. It was never like I had one, I had like one case, you know, I mean, it was, it was a lot. It was, and we were constantly drinking everything we had, everything we did. It was, it was about, it was drinking. I mean, and and so I began to focus on the alcohol and you know what it was, it was impossible to overcome it until I finally surrendered myself to Christ. And said, so God, I can't do this. Only you can do this. And every day I put my feet to the floor. I'm going to look to you as the answer, not to myself. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to die daily to you, to live for you. You're the greatest treasure. You, you do more in my life. You've done more in my life than a natural light could do any time. Right? You, you're so far above that. And I had to realize, I remember I was so legalistic that, that not only did I enforce those rules on myself, I enforced them on everyone around me. I remember sitting in Waynesboro where Susan and I lived the first year and a half of our marriage one night. And, and we, we were in this place where uh, my, my brother-in-law and I, we were perfect and, uh, and, and thought we were. And we were so condemning. We are sitting at the dinner table one night. And Susan uh, had cooked a meal. And, and that was, that's another story. But we, she had cooked a meal. And we were eating supper. And, and um, we're talking about a friend. I'm like, I can't believe they call themselves a Christian. And they still drink. She's like, well, you can't judge them, honey. You, only have, you just have to love them. I was like, that ain't good enough. She's like, I said, they ought, they ought not do it. She's like, well, son, honey, you, you really, you ought to. You just got to love them. and, And, you know, maybe they're not where you are. She's trying to do it like really covert, you know, maybe they're not where you are. And this conversation goes on and she goes, finally, you can't judge them, Brandon. And I took my hand, wham, on the table, English peas rolling all over the place. And I said, that's not good enough. Then it got real quiet. I was like, that was a little scary. Like, I got no idea where that came from. And I began to realize that when you fall into legalism, not only do you begin to try to make yourself perfect, but you begin to try to make everybody else perfect. You all of a sudden become the judge and the jury over everybody else's life. Basically, you put yourself in the seat of God. Holy cow! He doesn't like that. He is the only person in this church, who has the right to walk in and go, you're in my seat. The only person. If God says you're in my seat, you need to move. I don't want to be the one who's sitting in God's seat. I mean, we just read about God, right? He's he's huge. He's awesome. He's massive. And and yet, and and so we get to this place, and and we're so condemning, so judgmental. And I finally got to that place where that night when I hit my hand on the table, it was was just, whoa, something's got to change. And you know, not only was I miserable, but everybody around me was miserable. I was killing everybody. I was like a plague. We had a little group. It was only Chad and I after a while, my brother-in-law after a while, because everybody else left. And finally, one night, we had a guy walk in, and he looks at us, and he goes, Y'all know what John 3.16 says? And we're like, Of course we do. We're perfect. (laughs) And then he says, Do you know what John 3.17 says? And we're like, Well, I read it. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And he got up and left. And so we hit our knees and we began, no, we were like, he ain't saved. I mean, we seriously, it was, it was like, it didn't even faze us. We were like, well, he's just not his God. Man, listen, it makes everybody miserable, including you. And the problem for us so many times is we miss the joy and the riches and the glory of Jesus Christ because, because we're just we're focusing on our, our faults. We're focusing on the sin. And listen, Jesus is the cure for sin, not our efforts. Begin to put your effort into him. He'll begin to heal, heal your heart. And out of your heart will come the good things of God. That's the way it's supposed to work. Last one, we're about to wrap up. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It's not in the Gospel of John. 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, let us consider how can we spur one another on. The fourth thing is that we get caught in the snare of spiritual isolation. It's the devil's greatest weapon. I truly believe it. That we either start thinking we're too good to go to church. We start thinking that that, that other people aren't good enough to be around us. We start thinking that all Christians are hypocrites, which probably are. But we're all imperfect together. And we're all striving towards Jesus together. We, we begin to, to look at people and, and, and think that we can't associate with them. Our problems are bigger than theirs. And so we don't share them. I don't know if you've ever been in a group where you're like, oh my gosh, everybody's perfect and I'm not. And so you, you, you're like, I got this big issue and your heart's beating and you're like, oh, I need to share this. I've got to get this off my chest. And so you finally share it and everybody's like, me too. And everybody has the same problem, but somehow we think that we're isolated in this little bubble and we're the only one with real problems. And I can tell you this, that everybody in this room right now has a real problem. Everybody in here. And, and so we begin to get isolated because we think either we're not good enough or we're too good or, or whatever, or we're too lazy or whatever it is. And we begin to isolate ourselves from the body. And it doesn't work that way. You and I cannot overcome life. We can't overcome by ourselves. God put people in our lives, other brothers and sisters, to walk with us looking to Christ so that we can be strengthened. I never would have made any progress in my Christian journey. I don't know where I'd be today if I hadn't had someone to meet with me, even though we were wrong, man, even though we were legalistic and wrong. We began to overcome issues together. And we met together when I began to live for God for three years On Monday nights. I would drive from Waynesboro. Actually, sometimes from Augusta to Statesboro. And back to Waynesboro on Mondays. For the meeting. Because I knew I can't do this alone. And and if we get isolated, we become... You know like the little limping along zebra? When you watch the wildlife shows? And the little zebra's limping along. You're like, go little zebra, go. You know, because the tiger's coming up behind them. You always get picked off. They always—they never go after all of them. They go after the little one that's hobbling. He's isolated. There's, there's nothing there. And everybody else is running. They're like, all I got to do is outrun him. And when we become like that, we get picked off so easy. We get picked off so easily. God meant for us to do life together. We don't gather on Sunday mornings because I've got something brilliant to say. We'd all leave disappointed. We'd gather because there's an opportunity to consider one another. Hello, that's a a new idea. And then to stir one another up. To be encouraged with one another. We don't do connect groups. We don't do those small groups. We're not doing connection junction on Wednesday night at 630 so so that we can have something else on our calendar. We do it because it's important. And life change begins to happen when we get together and we worship our God and we share in the Lord and we begin to walk life out together. We can overcome anything. There is nothing that Jesus didn't accomplish that he didn't take care of on the cross. There's nothing that was left unaccomplished on the cross. Jesus took care of it all. I want to read these last verses to you. Hebrews. Ten thirty-five 35 to 39. So do not throw away your confidence. you will be richly rewarded. You need to per- persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. And then Paul writes this, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. And I believe this with all my heart, church, that we, the church, are not people who shrink back, but we're people who persevere with the confidence of Christ and continue to take back from Him what belongs to God. We're not the ones who shrink back in fear or in insecurity, out of selfishness or or self-righteousness. We continue to push Forward with Christ being made more and more in His likeness, and we show the grace of Jesus that for people is irresistible. In a world where people put their finger out down at you, where they look down your, their nose at you, where they're pointing and judgment at you. God comes and says, my grace is here and I'm willing to extend it. And then you and I together come and we're bound by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're unified through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got that spirit working between us and we become united. And we say, come hell or high water, I'm not shrinking back. That's what God's called us to. And this is the thing that I want to tell you in the midst of my issues, in the midst of this pull towards complacency, in the midst of that trying to sleep, just sneak into my life. I'm not shrinking back. And the thing that I want to do is I want you to run. I want to see you run as fast as God created you to run. I want to see you pursue Christ so fast and so furious that the issues you've had and the things you've dealt with, they can't catch you. I want to see you walk in freedom in the pursuit of Jesus with the shackles gone off of your feet and off of your life and off of your heart so that you can walk in in the knowledge of who Jesus truly is so that it isn't something that just happens on the surface but it's something where God has truly reached into our heart in our chest and pulled out our heart and gave us a new one. That's what God has called us to. We're not shrinking back. We're taking new ground. We're not going to preach a gospel that's watered down to try to put a band-aid on somebody's conscience. We're going to preach the truth that we've all sinned and only because of Christ can we have righteousness. That we've all sinned, but because of Christ and His righteousness, we can have the riches of God. available to us today. There's there's two stories in the Bible. One is about a pearl, uh, a merchant who who, um, sells and buys pearls. And it says that he found this pearl of great price. And it says he went and he sold everything. Sold everything. So that he could buy that pearl. I want to tell you that that is what it's like in the kingdom of God is what it's like in a relationship with Jesus. That when we sell it all to gain him, we gain everything. There's another one about a man who finds a treasure in a field and he goes and he sells everything he has and he comes back and he buys that field because of the treasure that's in it. You know, he gained so much more than what what else he had, than everything else he had. He gained the treasure, the one thing. we have in Christ is a life-changing God, that our eyes are open to see who he really is, that we truly experience the power of the Holy Spirit that changes our life forever. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that for many of you is calling you today. Maybe for the first time ever. Maybe for the first time ever you're hearing the voice in your head. You know what's funny? Jesus tore the curtain. He tore it in half. But the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if we'll open the door, he'll come in and dine with us. He'll come in and fellowship with us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus tore the curtain, but we still have to open the door? The door of our heart, and I believe for many of you today... He's knocking on the door. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, something that you know, an area you become complacent. Maybe it's something in your life where you know, I, I've done that superficial thing, but it's never been, it been invasive. And today is your opportunity to encounter the God of the universe in a real life-changing way. we stand up and pray, God.